drop those limiting beliefs and unlock your full potential. Soak up game as we interview the biggest badasses in business today. You're now tuned into the Start a Business Mind Your Own Podcast with your host, No Code Dan. Welcome back to the Start a Business Mind Your Own Podcast. I am your host, No Code Dan. And on today's episode, we have another fellow Dan in the building. That's right, Dan Klitzner, inventor of Bop It and many other amazing games and toys. Dan, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Well, thank you, Dan. Good to talk <laughs> to another Dan. Absolutely. And uh, you're our first inventor for season one, so I'm just uh, really glad to be able to pick your brain. So uh, thank you for joining us. You're welcome. I'm very excited to be here <laughs> and uh, share what little I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I'm sure you're being very humble with that. So for our listeners who uh, might not know, why don't you give us just a quick overview just to let everyone at home know who you are and uh, some of the things you may have done and what you're currently up to. Well, I'm an industrial, I graduated as an industrial designer from Pasadena Art Center, which is a school that has a lot of different design fields, car design, product design, film, and um Absolutely loved it, loved learning about that and just the whole field of three-dimensional design, you know, things that are, um, you know, I'd like to say people know what architects do because they design buildings, but they don't know what, when you say industrial design, they look at you blankly and I go, well, we design everything else. You know, right, <laughs> if right. it's not a building or a house, that's something somebody designs. So toys are of course right. one of those things and and it's easy to understand for a lot of people who are looking for something to do who are very visual and like working with their hands i didn't know anything about it in high school i i actually went into engineering and kind of hated it and then found out about this field called industrial design where it's about the ergonomics and you know uh, how how you interact with physical things and the building and prototyping and all that three-dimensional stuff so um, that got me into industrial design, which led, uh, at first I was doing bottle design. I actually designed some liquor bottles, which oh, wow. are, are, uh, I did the Woodford reserve bottle, which is still out there. The Salsa tequila bottle. Nice. I did uh, Corbett Canyon. These are all sort of iconic bottle shapes. Right. And I, I really, so I like the form of things three-dimensionally and, okay. That was way before CAD when I did those. Those were all done like using surfboard foam, carving, sanding, you know, in a three-dimensional way. Right. I, I just That's mentioned a lot of that. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's an interesting part of that. Um, you know, it's it's bottles have to look like something that represents a personality and they have to be functional. 100%. Um, you know, so that's sort of what industrial design, one, one part of it. And... At the time, I, I also did uh, had a client, Memorex, where I was working on designing remote controls for them. And that's sort of at the same time, I got into toys and started designing freelance for different toy companies. And okay. eventually, started coming up with my own ideas and pitching them to toy companies, which is sort of different. You can be a consulting designer, you know, work for hire. Um, someone has a project here. We want to do this toy and pretty much define the parameters and you design problem solve to that versus 
toy invention is a whole other thing in, in the toy industry. You're you're coming up with stuff and pitching it to people <laughs> without right. you know necessarily knowing whether it's uh, there's a lot more we'll talk about on that. But that's that's the difference between when you say inventor versus designer. It's 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 partly what you do, but it's also how you do it. Okay, interesting, interesting. Where are you from exactly, and uh, what was life like growing up? It's like in your hometown. Uh, uh, I'm actually from a suburb of San Francisco called Walnut Creek. Okay. And it was, um, you know, I'd say I was lucky to sort of grow up where there was. I played a lot outside. <laughs> like <laughs> I like games a lot and right. played a lot inside. I like I played uh, a lot of games, cards, and I'd say things like cribbage and gin rummy. I mean, honestly, for me, games with family were just didn't have to be complicated. I just loved playing with people. Right. And uh, I think, you know, growing up, I drew a lot. I was very artistic. So luckily in school, there were, I had a chance. I know there was art classes and art programs that I, I got a chance to, to actually explore that. And I, Felt I was going to go into that. You know, I really wanted to be artistic and then realized I had more of a of a mind or a need not to be an artist like a painter, but someone who used it more in the in physical objects. Okay, nice. And so that's a great transition. So uh, when you transition from being more of an artistic creative to someone who was creating products, how and when did that take place? And how did you realize you were more of an inventor or that you wanted to become one? Well, I think um, as I, you know, went into this industrial design field and I had this client discovery toys, I was designing a lot of products for them as a freelancer. Okay. Meaning that I wasn't working internally at that company. I was designing and I had, I had this company Memorex. I had a couple of clients, the bottle design, and I was doing this, these toy design. And I had heard from other people that in the toy industry, there is a specific business model, as I was saying, that called an inventor, which, which meant you could pitch ideas to companies and they would license them and pay you a royalty if they, if they used it. And kind of like, I equate it to movie script writers. You know, you hear about guys who write a screenplay and they pitch it to a movie studio. Uh, I've heard that, you know, it, to me, it sounded about as, as sort of like, really, they really, you can just pitch an idea to someone, right, right. <laughs> you know, and it sounded cool. But of course, what it means is they're not paying you to do that. It's, it's about speculating. So the business right. model of speculating is, is partly what people probably should understand is, is versus getting, uh, you know, paid as a consulting designer to do the work that you're hired to do, and so like the bottle design things like that, where where I would I was paid to do that. So the idea of switching to a model, you know, what I heard about it, but I was trying to think how do I do that, and how do I meet those companies, and I think for the people that you're saying in, in this broadcast that want to know like like. If I want, if I have ideas and I want to pitch them to people, how do I go about doing that? The first thing is, can you, you know, what can you, how much time can you afford <laughs> to take off from your day job? Because so what I had to do is I kept all my freelance clients so that okay. I had 
income and I was working on a lot of industrial design projects, while I started to meet all the different toy companies out there and sort of slowly at first, you know, spending a little bit of my, my extra time on ideas that I thought would work for different toy companies. And at first I had a lot of really bad ideas. Um, I'd say a lot of ideas that are typical that people come up with maybe um, when they're first starting something, you know, before you kind of really understand the field. Right, and right. so I, I struck out a lot and um, yeah, but, but during that time, I think what's important is I was building relationships with these companies. Mm. You're finding out, you know, a lot of it is not, Oh, I've got this great idea. And you know, first you go, everyone's going to want it. Everyone's going to love this. I showed <laughs> it to my family. Everyone's going to love it. You go, right. you know, everyone is a really big number. You know, it's like that. You're talking like a billion people. That's, are you sure everyone's going to love it? <laughs> and, <laughs> right. and so I, you kind of have to come down to earth a little when you have an idea and say, well, who actually does want this idea? What what consumer mm. wants the idea? But I think when you're saying, I want to be an inventor who pitches ideas and licenses them to companies, you really have to understand which companies want that. Right. You know, that there's some, some companies, they're like, no, if it's not invented here, we don't do it. We don't. I, I don't care how great your idea is. Please don't show it to us. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll see some people trying to pitch ideas to companies that say, we don't, we don't do that. We don't take ideas. Oh, well, but my idea is perfect for you. And they, you know, they spend, they go, nope, we just don't do, do it that way. Right. So you have to be careful to find the companies that actually want you to, to pitch them. And you also have to find the companies that have a good reputation or a good track record of licensing ideas and, and paying the royalties mm, once they do point. that, right? So my two rules are, are one is, is find a company that has an, you know, that really has an active interest in seeing inventions and ask them how, how many products have you licensed from outside inventors? And can I talk to some of them? Right. Right. Like, People are so willing sometimes to say, oh, I just want I showed this this company love my idea. It's it's not that even that they're intending to uh, rip you off or steal your idea. It's whether or not that company knows how to do that. Do they understand how to go through the process of of actually negotiating and licensing a product from someone? And do they have the system in place to then track it and pay the royalties? You know, there's a lot of things that you don't realize are have to happen for you to actually make money on your invention if you go that route. Right, right. So so that's probably my first 10 years, you know, of trying to do it was I had a few successes, but a lot of it was building relationships with the right companies to understand, okay, this company likes preschool toys and they really they don't really want to license things that are too normal. They only want things if they've got electronics in them. Or the this company just does sports equipment and this, you know, like you really have to narrow it down to make sure you're pitching to the companies that, that want what you have. Right. Right. That's a great point. I also, I do a lot of design work and uh, freelance and consulting myself. So I definitely uh, can relate to that and understand sometimes you got to kind of uh, tailor your pitch for the audience or, you know, the company you're working with. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you have to know know your consumer, but know your like you're saying, know your company. Um, or know your stakeholders you know, just as much. Know, yeah, the I say I have this thing that relationships are 
more important than the idea. And it mm. doesn't mean it doesn't mean that it's just who you know, you know, right. and that your idea. It means if you build good relationships, you'll understand much more what kind of ideas that person or company wants. You have to really know, you know, what what they've done in the past, so that you don't just show them something. They go, "Yeah, we did that three years ago. Didn't you see it?" You know, um, you have to really understand them, and you have to know the dynamics of who is the right person in that company who's receptive. Like there's a lot about the relationship side that isn't just about knowing them. It's about truly understanding and having, you know, a real concept of their history. Right. That makes so much sense. I think a lot of people just naturally get so caught up in just the ideal or the product itself that they kind of leave out the relationships and the networking aspect and forget to, you know, take care of people and meet people and reciprocate that value and get out there. And they kind of uh, fail to realize how much that'll help them in the long run as well and come back to help them. Absolutely. It's, it's a, it's something you hear about and you think, oh, they're just saying that. And then the more you do it, the more you realize it's, it's those relationships will last your lifetime if you do it right. You know, and that it could be, I, I've had stories of all sorts of inventions that I've licensed to companies. Some of them, companies that were 15 years after I first met them and right. had to show them concept after concept and just, oh, well, I'll, you didn't like, you know, nothing here worked. We'll see you next time. And 15 right, years later, personal. yeah, literally the biggest hit, you know, some of the biggest hits I've had have been many years after meeting a company and just sticking with it until the right time, the right person, the right concept, the right, like, like everything fits, but you got to be willing to, to be patient in some of these cases. Um, right. Yeah. So I don't know that to be specific, I'm sure if I was listening now, I'd say, so give me an example. <laughs> As you said, what are some of the things? And, you know, trying to be visual on uh, on audio here. One of the first things that I invented that many people know that I didn't realize till recently is um, when I left the, or I left out on my own, set out on my own to try to pitch ideas. I had this idea that the, the discovery toys didn't want to do, mm -hmm. which was this sand digger that you held in your hand, kind of like a claw, the way, the yeah. way you dig, uh, you know, like the way a dog digs, like digging in the sand that right. way. It was an ergonomic one piece plastic thing that fit your hand fit around we called it the sand claw. Um, okay. And yeah, it was, I've seen you, those. You, You've probably seen it. Well, that's was if you look it up, um, it, it wasn't, well, you can't quite look it up in that I did show on my social media channels, I showed the original drawings and prototypes and my, and I did license that to a small company. It was my first deal I ever did. And it was to a company that, like I said, didn't, I didn't know these rules yet. Like make sure you deal with the person company that has done this before. They hadn't right. really licensed things before. They were totally honest. They just didn't quite know what they were doing and neither did I. And we didn't, neither of us really applied for the patent on it. Um, I'll go into that a little later. Is for toy companies, you do not need patents to pitch an idea. Usually the, a lot of the companies though will apply for the patent. The ones that sort of deal in this area, they'll, that if they like the idea, then they proceed and they, they often will do the patent and assign it to you 
so okay. that if they ever drop the item, you keep the patent. So we can go. There's a lot there to understand, but just so you know, I learned right. a little bit of that on this first deal where the this sand digger, which I prototyped and had video of, you know, digging and with kids and all this, was it did started to do pretty well, but since no one had applied for intellectual property protection, it got started getting knocked off. Right. And right. at some point they stopped paying me a royalty on it because like, Hey, everyone else is doing this thing. And you know um, it, it, so it kept getting bigger and bigger till I've seen it all over the world. This is, this is 25 years ago when I did right. it. So there's been millions of these things made. I'm not really bitter that it didn't, you know, I, I I like to think of it as, well, that was my first invention. And if the first thing I ever licensed is still out there, then I'm doing something right. Even if it's, it's kind of like, you know, absolutely take it right. I'm, I'm pretty still have some pride that. in that. Yeah. <laughs> and that it's like, that's, that's a great sign. And so it's just a lesson in that even it isn't just about the money on some things. I think for inventors giving, you know, birth to some new idea and knowing that people like it and keep using it is, you know, as long as you can make a living on not making too many mistakes, I think a lot of people, if you, if you have that passion that says, I just want to figure out, you know, come up with something new that people, that people love and will, you know, and that it will be around for a long time. That's a pretty exciting feeling when that happens to kind of connect with all those people that, that are playing with something that you created. Right. Absolutely. Now, as you're going throughout your years and, you know, um, deciding, you know, you're going to be an inventor and you're going to, like you said, you're going to not no, no longer working freelance, but you're, you know, you're kind of pitching the ideals. Now, who was your biggest influence? And was there someone that you looked at or saw that do that and was like, wow, I think I can do that. Or I want to do that. Yeah. It's uh, in the toy industry. Um, it's, it's a different industry in a ways than others, than other inventors. It's not like, mm -hmm. you know, you're Thomas Edison or Tesla or someone like that, you know, you're meaning Nikola Tesla, not, not right. car Tesla, but, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the idea that, that you're not a scientist necessarily as a toy inventor, you're a person that has ideas, maybe prototypes them and pitches them. It's more of a concept person than an inventor it's you're called an inventor but i always like to say you're called an inventor but the invention of a lot of these toys is is more of a group effort you are more right. the person that pitches it so who when i looked at that there was uh, the four runners of this whole industry where there's this company called marvin glass or the person was named marvin glass and mm -hmm. um he had a, the company if you look it up was really the first company that um kind of came up with the business model that toy companies needed ideas and that they would, he sort of established this idea that you could pitch ideas and they'd pay you a royalty on it. And okay. if you look up Marvin Glass, there's a lot, there's a great book on their studio in Chicago. And a lot of the guys that came out of that were still around um, this guy, Jeff Breslow and uh, uh, the, that um, who did games. He just he basically created Simon uh, okay. from the you know and games like that. There was electronic games. I was I really loved seeing that you know when I'd hear stories about that and that this this 
invention place, you know, where people could create things and pitch to toy companies. I also, there was a guy who's still out there who I, I met named Elliot Rudell who invented um, the game of Upwards. If you've ever played Upwards, and he also did uh, like tons of stuff I'm blanking on, but you know, like everything he did, I would sort of go, wow, I really like what that guy does. And so when I first right, started right. out, I looked up, I looked up to the type of things that were more industrial design oriented, not like a, a person that would do like the game of um, the game of life. Well, that's still three dimensional. I love three dimensional things. I looked up to um, that, uh, but not things like a game like Scategories or Monopoly. Those didn't interest me as much in terms of invention of games. I wanted the three dimensional right. things. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so I'd say that was an influence just in general that, that, that this field existed. And I, but I liked a lot of things that were more form based, like, like preschool design at first, um, Fisher price. I started to pitch them a lot of ideas and right, right. amazing. Some company. of my, yeah, they've done some, you know, great company. And, and, uh, a lot of the things that I did though, that I started to, to hit on were games. So I had started to pitch game ideas to um, to has at the time it was Milton Bradley, and mm, okay. the first game that I actually licensed to them was called Go Go Worms. And if you look it up, it's a I think you can see the commercial on YouTube somewhere as a retro commercial, and it was this <laughs> idea of extruding Play-Doh out of these long, out of a, these extruder is like a slow motion race between two worms. And the invention was that there were these little wheels that went underneath the Play-Doh as it ex came out so that you could extrude it, you know, two feet instead of it just curling up, you know, like normal. Right. If you put wheels underneath an extrusion and you keep extruding it, it may, it goes. So you would roll a dice. It would say, oh, you get two pumps. So you get three pumps just for, you know, and the front of the, of this line of dough had a worms, had worms heads on it. Um, okay. <laughs> and, it, and so it was a really cute thing. It made for a good commercial and I had a deal. I'd licensed this cool three-dimensional game. And, um, yeah, that and that built the relationship with Milton Bradley, you know, by hitting on that. And I had pitched them many things. That was probably the fiftieth thing that I had pitched them. You know, all sorts of games. Like I right. said, many of them, many of them were things that they'd seen before. Um, but that you know, just talking about who would I look up to or who influenced me, those people that you meet with, it, like at that time, there was a guy, Bill Dorman who was the head of inventor relations at Milton Bradley. And he had a really great eye. Um, he had discovered Nerf and Twister, mm. the game Twister, when he was there. Right. So I kind of respected that when he gave feedback, I trusted what he would say. So when I pitched okay. him something that, was, that wasn't very good, right? It's mm -hmm. good to hear his honest feedback because you learn from that. Right, uh, absolutely. So, yeah. So I guess that's, you know, as much as anything, it's who you're pitching your idea to, you can learn sometimes the most from. Absolutely. It's a great outlook and a great way to put that. Now, uh, like we were just talking about, you've pitched many, many ideas. So 
just knowing that you've pitched a lot of ideas, I'm sure you've came up with even more ideas. So just, you know, completely guesstimation here around how many ideals or concept have you had since starting your journey and up until now, would you say? Uh, 3,817. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's I very it precise. <laughs> it's, it honestly is somewhere between three and four thousand. There is a number. Uh, uh, what I started early on at my partners is that we started a great system of keeping track of everything, and they are numbered one, starting with number one, all right. the way. And I think we're, we're up in the high three thousands now, and um, it's about a one in ten hit rate on amount of ideas that we come up with to which ones either get interest or eventually licensed. So probably nice. not over, you know, there's about 300 products out there. Well, uh, 300 products. I'd say there's been about 300 attempted products, you know, where I've actually licensed that many to different companies. But then you got to remember, so it's one out of 10 chance that you come up with something that someone wants. Then it's more like about a one out of 10 chance once they have it, that it'll make, that it'll do that well. Because right, they're right. in the same boat as you, right? They, a company comes out with a bunch of products in a year, and clearly not all of them are going to be a hit. In fact, they're lucky to get one hit out of their whole line. So, you know, for you to be on the lucky side of being getting an idea in the door and then being the one idea or two ideas that that company has a big hit with that year, you can understand why it's so rare. Absolutely. And that's perfect segue into my next question. What was your first big idea or big break from an ideal that you had? Well, interesting that um, even though people know, you know, I'm probably best known for, for Bop It uh, mm -hmm. because one, it was a big hit at the time in 1997, but it continued. I've worked on it for 25 years. Right. Meaning it gets refreshed. I've had tons of variations and inventions and even in other. So it was an incredible once in a lifetime thing to have a hit that that not only was successful, but had but stuck because a lot of big hits are only a hit for three years and you never hear of them again. Right. Uh, yeah. Bop, it so, kind of impacted the culture. Yeah, it's been amazing. Uh, but before that, I did have. Um, at the same year, actually, was this line of products called Keytop or PC playsets, called them mm -hmm. Keytop toys. They were there were these things that fit over. It was right in the computer Windows ninety five kind of era, <laughs> where right. how to connect a product. I, I had this idea of how to make play with digital things more physical, and Bop it actually came out of that. It was you know it's a it's a digital electronic thing that uses a lot of physical action. You bop it, you twist it, you pull it. You're right. not sitting there with two thumbs, just moving your thumbs on a, on a, you know, handheld electronic game. And at the same year, I also um, created, and at this point I did this, this is what started my partnership with my great partners, Gary and Brian was working on this concept for taking these things, putting them on top of your, and it was connecting a physical actions to your computer. So I wanted to get like preschoolers 
who are three-year-old, what do they love to do? They love to hammer on a workbench. Like, like talk about the classic play, like, like right. the hammer saw, like role mm-hmm. play, you know? And this was an idea to let you do that, but have the actions that you did on the saw or the hammer actually appear on the screen. So you could feel like you were a kid could feel like they were building something for real. And the mm. problem was it, it was a really cool idea, right? A hammer. Right. It, it says to you, you know, let's build, pick what you want to build. Okay. I want to build a, a dog house. You could just click right. on the picture and then it would say, great, let's cut the wood, move your saw. And as the kid would move their saw back and forth, a saw on the screen would start cutting the wood to just mimicking their action. It right, was so right. simple, but you know, that's, it says move is kind of like bop it, right? Right. Move your saw. I move the saw. Do what you're told. But it was, you know, it, they had to move their hand back and forth however many times till the wood would cut in half. Then it would say, great, now let's nail it on the roof. And it would put the wood on top of the roof for, for you, right? And so right. it would show nails. And whenever it shows a nail, the kid would find the hammer and start hammering on this thing. And every time he hit hit down, it would hammer, start hammering a nail. And so it it felt to the kid like they were building it themselves with their hands. Right. That's amazing. Right. And this was, and, and the trick though, was there was no way to get into a computer very easily or, or universally. There was no USB at the time. There was a thing called a serial port, which you probably might know. Mm -hmm. There was all sorts of weird things. There was nothing standard. And so the problem was how to create a device that you could connect to, you know, enough computers that it could be a viable item. And I had this idea, like, what if it just fit over the keyboard? And when you moved these things on the top of this little work table, it would press keys for you underneath. Right. And, and it was like, nah, that'll never work. That's nah, not going to work. It's too, there's too many shapes. And this, it's like, well, let's build one. So prototype <laughs> something and said, huh, kind of looks like it's going to work, you know? And by, right. by the way, before that, I faked it. I have video of like my son when he was three years old where I had us, I had faked a video of this and had him, had it say to him, move the saw. And when he would move the saw, I would just click a button of the mouse on the side. And he thought it was a working device. Right? Right. So, right. Right. And, and that's a really good lesson in that and Bob it as well as I simulated things first so that the person using it could experience it even though it wasn't a working prototype and that was really important because first i I showed that actually to the toy company um that was interested i and i and just for myself and said hey this looks like it's really going to work you know you first have to validate but instead of spending all this money and time making it working figure out a way to fake it first to verify whether your gut feel like you were saying, is that you got to verify your gut feel without spending a fortune. Right. <laughs> so that's a great, that, great tip. Yeah. So that's it. And then, but then, you know, uh, kind of trying this other thing was maybe a gut feel was I think there's a way to make something work where you move your saw back and forth and it has a cam in it that touches the X key. And the software knows that anytime you, you know, you could pull the device off and just touch the X key. But that's not very fun, you know. Right. <laughs> so, so 
it's it's out there. You can look up the commercial sport and everything. There was the it was called the Tonka CD-ROM Workshop. It eventually got licensed to Tonka, and mm. there was actually a Millennium Falcon. Uh, there's a uh, Easy Bake Kitchen. There, so it, it became a line of of all of these things that were physical right. toys that fit on your keyboard and that on the screen was this all these great games that used physical actions very much like bop it came out the same year as bop it but it only lasted a couple years uh it did quite well but you know technology moved on and computers right. moved on and um so just an example of you know that was the same genesis of the idea of how to create i call it animating the the player you know how how can this game create or toy create more physical activity in the person rather than something that they just watch or something that you know like that they do something too it's more like the product did something to them right it seems like you're really um about like you know all your products have this uh trend and theme that you're really about the the mobility and the movement of the user and taking action and taking exercise along with the product or the software you know whatever we're working with and uh if that's the case you know and I you know it seems like it is how do you feel about like Nintendo's latest offerings throughout the years, like the Nintendo Wii or like um the Nintendo Switch? And I don't know if you see it, but they have the uh uh I think it's called Nintendo Ring Fit, and it's like a little workout device that you kind of like stretch, pull, and do all these things, and it's registering all the exercise you're doing while you're doing it in front of the uh TV. Yeah, uh well, one I I get to say I told you so because right. <laughs> <laughs> I had, I've been trying it for years. You know, I, I believe that uh, many of the concepts, you know, uh, of Bop It, not that I invented that whole area, but I think I was in the flow of that, you know, 25 years ago of the idea right. of, of physical combining with digital. But it was 10 years before the Wii, you know, and I had many, many prototypes and mock-ups of I called it Flexit. It was an exercise, a bop it exercise device, which I just couldn't find the right company. Talk about it. the toy company said, ah, it's really an exercise product. It's not for us. So, right. but I didn't, you know, I couldn't really find the exercise company that would do it or the video game company. It's that relationship I hadn't worked on. Um, right. But I will say that when I saw the first commercial for the Wii, uh, after, you know, literally imagine I was 10 years into bop it like things and i thought of almost you know wow i love this thing about getting people to be physically active and there was an entire line that no one ever saw done for hasbro which was called xr games like mm. exercise games that was right step and move and and uh actually there and i'll tell you one of the products did come out uh, but anyway before i go into that when I finally saw the commercial for the first Wii, I loved that they didn't show the product. The commercial, if you remember, mm -hmm. showed people. They showed the people moving. They didn't show what was on the screen. They just showed people like moving their arms and doing stuff. They showed right. the animation of the player. And so you're like, I remember seeing it and then seeing what they're doing. I was like, well, you know animate the player make the player move and right <laughs> it, 
you know, because it was that exact idea is the more it, it isn't like the only thing can do. It's just my thing. And I really like doing it. And so when I saw it, it kind of validated that, you know, it was on that same sort of vein. Right. And uh, but I, but uh, but just so there's another product that I invented in the meantime that was all about motion and actually was invented before I did Bop It on this idea. It's called Hyperdash. Okay. And if it, anyone ever had Hyperdash, that's the product specifically I had for years that no one wanted to do that finally got done by a company called Wild Planet. Mm-hmm. Literally 15 years after pitching them ideas for 15 years and then there one day he was like why don't we why haven't we done anything with you the the owner of that company right and i said well you guys do more sciencey stuff you know i'm just not into that i'm more into games because they were doing spy gear and all these other things right, and he goes right, well okay. if you had a we, well maybe we should be doing games and i said well there is this one game that everybody has passed on that i just think is fantastic and maybe it fits you maybe it's right for you it's one that gets kids to run around and what Hyperdash is, is it's it has five colored cups and it's just a device that says red and you run and you slam it down over the red cup and it knows that which cup is red and which cup is yellow and which cup is blue, you know. But it, it's, right. again, it's think of it like a bop it, but you can make it as big as your guard. It tells right, you what to right. do. So you, the creativity was where you put those objects. So he looked at it and he goes, this was Danny Grossman was his name who, who owned the company. And he says, I really like it. I think we I think we should try this. So he went and tested it and everyone's like, What? Wild Planet's coming out with a game? You know, like what they weren't known for that. Right. And lo and behold, it became their biggest hit and it and it it was like a huge hit for a few years. Um, it was right when Amazon was starting to sell toys and it was one of their biggest hits of the of, for like two years. Oh, and wow. it it blew up into a whole line of exercise kind of like what i tried to do for hasbro initially it turned into that for wild planet and it's just a story you know again i can't stress enough about you can have a great idea i had that idea for 15 years showed it to every company no one wanted to do it but when i showed it to the right company at the right time the right guy the right relationship right all it's it's part of why it's so hard is is you can't predict that you can right. only be persistent and luckily listen and find, you know, if that conversation had never happened, if I hadn't had the relationship, that product never would have happened. Absolutely. So, All about that alignment. Just to, yeah. Just trying to give people the concept of this is inventors who do this for their career. You know, someone can get lucky on their first thing for sure, but it doesn't happen that often. It's usually people like me who've really spent the time on, on, finding the right company right it goes back to uh, like my music background where i would say it's easy to, to spend 10 to 15 years trying to become that overnight success mm. right and has that is that happened where you just say it is it, what's the equivalent where it's showing the right having the right person see you at, a, at the right time do you think that applies oh yeah absolutely i think it's it's all um like I said, all variables of the alignment, you know, uh, what music is popular at the time uh, kind of dictates uh, the music you're doing, how, you know, what, uh, how high on the scale that goes and how well it can do. Um, 
as well as, you know, the alignment of if you can find your audience, as well as, you know, the stakeholders, whether uh, that's label people that can believe in you and sign you, or that's, you know, you yourself teaming up with partners and funding your own operation. Interesting. You know, what's really strikes me as different about that. I love, I love the similarities about, you know, you understanding the relationships and who's going to sign it and who's, you know, who, who the audience is. It's very similar, except for one thing is the performance side of music, you know, is sort of the opposite of invention. Because in invention, you have to have your idea sort of stand on its own without you anywhere near it. You know, they're not buying you or your personality whatsoever. They, in fact, once they have it, they kind of want you to go away so they can do what they want with it. You know, it's, right, it's, right. It, they, they, it's the opposite versus in, in music, you know, you are part of that equation. Yeah, absolutely. So, it's yeah. just as much about the personality and the brand, but mainly the personality as it is the music. Yeah. Yeah. It's very different. That's, uh, that's part of what I've gone into this year. One was to celebrate 25 years of Bop It is why I started my TikTok and Instagram. I've never done any social media. I've, I've totally shied away from it because I didn't, I just didn't want to spend the time and, and I, it's right, really right. more, I, I pitch ideas to private, you know, to companies. I don't need to, direct consumer but as things have shifted as i'm sure they have in music right uh mm -hmm, absolutely it's i'm like well maybe i maybe i will be wanting that direct connection um so maybe that maybe they're getting more similar you know where the personality of the creator is part of that right i can see that and uh i'm gonna go ahead and pivot because that was actually one of my questions and i was gonna say i see you all over social media now from instagram to tiktok and it really looks like you're having a blast with everything, like you're having a whole lot of fun. So uh, I just wanted to know kind of like, what's the end game for social media for you? And can you speak to your current social media strategy at all? Like, is there any strategy behind it? Or are you just kind of just testing the waters? God, that's a, uh oh, I better have an answer for that. No, I, I uh, oh, actually, no. I've thought about it a lot. No, it, it, one, I am having a lot of fun. Um, for a few reasons. One, I come from a theater uh, family. Mm -hmm. <laughs> my both parents were on were Broadway uh, actors, dancer, choreographer, and the whole life. My dad's done. You like, I've gone to musical theater with them, and they've been in shows. So I grew up with a lot of theatrics, and and I like. Uh, I, I've never really done anything with that. To, you know, in a way, uh, besides, you know, when you pitch an idea, maybe I say that was part of why I enjoy pitching is you kind of get into an act in some way, but doing it on social media, having fun and getting instant feedback from people. It's kind of like getting applause. You know, I, I guess I equate it to from, from the theatrics of you. I'm still trying to talk about concepts or have fun with invention or, you know, insights into what it, what it feels like to pitch something and have it fail, but just experimenting with the idea of what is it that connects with people um, on this level. It's really wild because before this, I could come up with an idea, pitch it to a company. And like I said, it, if you're lucky two years later, the idea comes out and you can right. see, do people, do people like it? You know, uh, it's, it's such a thrill like on that key top toy thing I said with the, the workshop, 
I remember my biggest thrill on that was three years after I had first created it, it was being sold and I saw an Amazon review from a dad who played with it with their son that went on and on about how it changed their the, the way he played with his son. And I would cried when he played, like just this whole, I read tons, like actually many reviews and that kind of hooked me on the connection to people, the end right. users. And so social media, I can float ideas out there, see if people like them, don't like them. I can give trivia. I can ask for opinions. I can, you know, and it's, Right. You know, you can the, kind of the, shorten the, that feedback loop a little bit to an hour <laughs> you know, instead of three <laughs> right. years. It's right. Like, right. What do you think of this? You know, there's just this, it's very, and I think there's so much more to come in that area for people. And so my end game is, well, one, I did it to sort of celebrate and connect with people as, as one to, in some ways, giving back for all the success of Bop it by, letting mm. you know tell me your stories let me hear what you think let me share some cool stuff about it that no one ever knew outside of a toy company you right. know let me give examples let me let me show you some crazy ideas that didn't make it and why they didn't make it and right you know it's kind of like i i don't have an end goal for that except sharing and getting and i love it that people like it and i like you know, I've got so many comments of people saying, wow, you know, this, this was my childhood, bop it, you know, and they tell me a memory or a story about that. Um, I just love that. You know, I love, right. I love that I connected with hundreds, literally a hundred million people have played bop it. So to get, to get that feedback, uh, I mean, only cause there's been 30 million sold and and when they calculate how many people didn't own it but played it, it's at least a hundred million. Right. And so That's there's phenomenal. an endless yeah, and, and so many are from the nineties, late nineties. So the right. people there's there's either new kids, like I get it's crazy. I either get people that are in their thirties, twenty late twenties, thirties who who it meant a lot to them because it was their seven, eight, nine, ten year old self unlocking this nostalgia, which is so powerful. Um, right. And then you'll get people, kids who played it because it's been there the whole time uh, who are more like teenagers. They mm -hmm. mean something else to them. And then you'll get kids who are seven, eight year old and they're all on TikTok, of course, uh, very different than Instagram. Like the Instagram is more of the millennial right. type of crowd. The TikTok is like kids and the things they say are so funny. Um, <laughs> so you know, like they're, they're like, my grandpa played Bop It when he was like, I'm like, it makes, it's sort of funny that they're, they're so much younger than I imagined. Um, but uh, there's, so there's, so I do, the end game though, I'll just have to say is there's a couple. One, I have a special product I want to launch directly to people, maybe Kickstarter, that is this crazy, I call the mother of all Bop It's, that's way mm. too, like, too elaborate for Hasbro to do. It's probably a hundred dollar kind of what a what a person who's a millennial now who's 30 something could pay a hundred bucks for what their seven-year-old self could never afford but would want. Like to right, say it's okay. a not it's more like a product that's just beautiful. So that's my end goal is I wanna I'm getting all the social media because I want to get enough when I'm ready, launch, see if I can launch that as a Kickstarter. I'm also um writing a book basically final title not decided but let's call it take this book and bop it and it's <laughs> love it 
and it's a book that's got you know the stuff i'm gathering from the social media i'm, I'm going to put in people's stories i'm putting in the true kind of history of how did it happen all the pop culture things like saturday night live it's been spoofed it's been on the simpsons it's been on you know alec baldwin's done stuff and jimmy fallon and like there's so much pop culture around it right. and as as well as um you know it's probably more than can go in a book but it's it's really trying to show the timeline all the different boppets why just because there's so much interest in it beyond the toy and kind of what it started or what it means to people so my journey of of this social media thing is part for launching my own product and getting feedback and partly getting ideas for this book that I'm trying to get out this year uh, as a 25 year anniversary book. And there is something very special about the cover on this book. If it says, take this book and bop it, you can imagine how interactive that book might be. So that's, that's the, uh, well, I'll probably do a mock-up of it on social media soon just to see what people think. But, um, you know, so if you think of being my position, I've got many other products I've done or I'm working on stuff now, but rather than shy away from Bop It, kind of like someone who feels like they had a one hit wonder and like, ah, talking about Bop It again. um, It's different because it keeps growing and changing and, uh, you know that I, if anything, I'm a little self-conscious in social media. Like, if oh, guys, talking about Bop It again. You know, like like if it, I'm trying to imagine a guy who wrote one song and he, all he did was talk about that song, <laughs> it would right. it would be a little like okay, what else you got? You know, but I no, and no, I do I, share a lot of other stuff, but I don't know. Right. I think the way that you're coming at it and the way you're sharing the stories around it, and you're also providing value and education around, you know, uh, inventing and pitching ideas. I think it works. I think it works really well. Well, thank you for saying that. It honestly, uh, I'll go a few days doing it and then I'll be like, man, it just there's too much. There's so much stuff about it. It's been spoofed so much that I, I kind of keep getting ideas like, oh, I should do this. I should do that. And I just wonder when the saturation point will be enough, you know. Um, but as long as you're, if you're the one person who still enjoys it, I'll keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs> love it. And then just a side note, I, I love the idea for like the premium bopping experience for the millennials, like the hundred dollar price point and everything. Oh. I just, oh. I just see that working out like these days and for that crowd. And like, it just seems like the experience of doing something like that and just saying they were able to do that. Plus the nostalgia of it all and nostalgia is like so huge these days. I just see it working. Well, thank you. I, I think so. Honestly, I'm looking at the prototype of it right now sitting across from me and I get excited every time I see it. It is, um, there's a bunch of things about it and the way I want to launch it that I think are, are really would require a lot of social media and my own personal connections to people. And so I'm meeting a lot of celebrity kind of people or, maybe influencers who who played it as a kid. And so I'm gathering enough of those connections so that when I'm ready to do it, I could kind of call on enough um, people to sort of help help spread the word that it will succeed. Because the worst thing about a product, you know, I, I've never done one on my own like that, is you can have a great idea, but, you know, when it's, I, I, I just, 
it's not like it, it, trying to do something for the first time and succeed is hard in any business. Right. And so I'm trying to be careful to make sure I have enough, um, you know, I'm not fooling myself that it could be a great idea. Just, just executed wrong or not enough marketing. Right. So we'll see. Awesome. Whenever you do that, uh, reach out to me. I know a guy, he does strictly copywriting, marketing, and design work for Kickstarter campaigns and optimizing for their success. I'd love to put y'all in touch. Oh, I will. I'm open to all of those suggestions because I think, you know, it's going to take a team to truly pull it off. I've got, I've got a guy I used to work with at Hasbro sort of behind the scenes on you know in terms of the manufacturing and all that stuff it is connect you know that's great but yeah kickstartering um all that stuff it's you know it's an art form so you got to find the right people i'm sure um right. but what i've heard is i i know the guy uh, um elon lee who did exploding kittens he mm-hmm. you know gave me advice on just before you try a kickstarter because he he set the record basically for like the most successful kickstarter and launched that whole brand right is he just said make sure you have enough social media that you don't rely on the kickstarter alone you don't get so that's when you say what's my end game it 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 really started with his advice it's like oh god i guess i better build up you know some sort of connections with people so that if i launch something I can spread the word beyond the Kickstarter. Um, right. And it's, it's funny that you say that because like the, a big portion of the community that's going to be listening to this is a, a community that I'm in called the no code community. And it's like using um, web apps and visual apps to create things without code. And that's like easily one of the biggest premises is um, uh, I kind of lost it. <laughs> the premise of for Kickstartering or for marketing, you mean then for the no code? Oh yeah, yeah. For the yeah, thank you, yeah. thank you for bringing it back. Yeah. The premise yeah. for the oh, the whole Kickstarter and everything, and that's uh, you want to have your community before you unleash your product, because if you spend all your time working that product and making an excellent campaign and putting it out there, it can easily fall on deaf ears and not right. explode if you don't have that community already well, there. Very exactly. That's what Elon had said and. And I'll tell you, uh, which you may have seen the post I did on the Unibop. I don't know if you saw yeah. this mm-hmm. this idea. <laughs> so that uh, so for those listening, it's it's like the ultimate. You know, it's kind of was a joke, like the button that you press that says no. You know, the button, the no button, or the easy button. You just press right. all. You hit it. And it goes no, no, and then it it says funny things. So this concept was: what about a bop a bop it button? that you just hit and it, you know, it says bop it and you hit it, bop it, you hit it, bop it. You know, it's just, it's funnier. I was, you know, like the idea that that's all it does, you know, it just was hilarious to me and, and not even to put a score on it. Like you can just do it as long as you like, but right. when you, <laughs> when you stop doing it, what I didn't show in the video was I thought afterwards, like, what, if, what, what does it say when you stop? Because bop it is famous for, saying something to you when you blow it right it says do it the same but better or i remember my first time playing bop it or some really obnoxious thing right so the idea that i'm working on is to get that before i try to do the mother of all boppets i should do the baby of all boppets which is just the button itself so what i'm working (laughs) on first 
is this little bop it button because it's much less ambitious than this thing that I, I'm going to do. And but that idea that it's the simplest possible, but almost a joke. Um, but I but getting a lot of people who like it and you know and talk about spreading the word out there. It's going to be the idea that I'm trying to see whose voice should go in it. So I'm about to start a campaign where I say who wants to be the voice of the Unibop. But the <laughs> trick is going to be I'm thinking of doing it all on social media. Like I can put. 10 voice you know, every time it says bop it it could actually be a different voice right right cycles so the idea the is cycles of the voices so i want to do a thing where i throw it out there and say if you've ever wanted to be the voice of bop it here's your chance and whoever has I'll, i'm going to come up with a sound a backing track so that if people do a duet with it the way tiktok works i can just <laughs> see everyone who did that by clicking on the sound and whoever has the most likes will you know who the 10 people that have the 10 people with the most likes will be on will be the, the 10 bop it voices in there but they also have to say something you know they have okay. to make up some phrase you know like uh, i'm not good at those things so i can't do it but you know i remember my <laughs> first time playing bop it but the, so the fact is i think what'll be funny is to see what people would say to you when you fail at bop it right Obviously, okay. most of it will be explicit, so we'll have to tackle that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. But, uh, it's so, like so a meme bop it. Yeah, it's it. like, so I'm, I'm just literally this week going, okay, I want to try this first. So just in the idea of ideas, when, you know, getting back to the topic here, it, where I bring it up is that, you know, it's one thing to have big vision and say, I'm just doing this no matter what that's you know that can work it can be the passion that drives you and yet the other side of it is like i said how i started all this was i didn't just succeed right away i had to build it a little bit and so trying something that's social media oriented that's smaller that gets you know like i just had a feeling like maybe i didn't try this before i i, I try this thing that's too big and fail and possibly fail at it because i didn't sort of practice on something first so I don't know mm. if that applies, you know, uh, I don't know. It's it's one method, you know, someone, I can't say it's great. It's the only advice because someone else might just say, go for it. And they might be right. So right. that's why I'm, I'm, I'm sort of toying with that. And we'll see. No, I like that. It makes a lot of sense, especially, you know, tackling a smaller version before your bigger product launch. And it kind of pivots me to my next question. And that's, uh, it can be, you know, within the last few years or just in your career in general. But what would you say is one of your biggest failures and what did it teach you? What did you learn from it? Boy, I have a couple huge failures. Um, the most, uh, both were things that were outside. I've had failures that were toys, but I can't say that's meaning ideas that I pitched that I thought would succeed that didn't, but that's sort mm -hmm. of the nature of that business. As I said, some of it's, some of it's outside of your control. You right. know, once a product goes into a company, there's some marketing, the timing and the cost, the biggest failures I've had have been one was a product that I, I tried to go out. I had this idea for um, when the internet was, kind of based on that key top thing I was talking about where how to connect toys and things to a to a computer and when the USB came out there was this idea that you stuck a USB 
in to connect toys to it. And I thought, well, what if you just, what if you could connect to online content um, safely for kids right. with, by just, and so this thing I invented was called Kigo, Q-I-G-O. Mm-hmm. And it was a separate company that I did with my partners where you, the, the thing was you plug a key in, a USB key in, and it would, instead of there being stuff on the drive at the time, it was meant to be kid safe. So when you gave your kid a, this is a Sesame Street uh, Kigo, mm-hmm. and you'd plug it in the USB and it would go to a protected walled garden site so that your computer that, you know, leaving your kid there, they couldn't get to anything else on the computer the way the software worked unless they put a key in and then it would only go to the thing that you had bought for them. So it was a way to simply wall off stuff. And people say, oh, you could do it by this way and you could make software. I say, yeah, but people are physical. They just just take this thing, plug it in, it works, right? right. And it got a lot of attention. I had uh, offers to get it VC funded and all these things. And it spent a lot of money and time on it because everyone liked it. And it never, it really kind of failed as a, product i did end up doing things in the toy industry with it there was a fisher price product there was a thing with the game frogger like it kind of had some mild success within the toy industry but outside my relationships it it didn't it it actually was a huge time sink cost uh me and my partners a lot of time and money to have that failure and so i think the lesson was just sort of Keeping your eye on, on, I mean, I, I can't say I wouldn't do it again in a way. I might have just done it differently, but I would say that it was thinking it was easier than it was to build all those relationships and knowledge that I'd spent years already building within the toy industry was mm. was probably the why. You know, if, if I had said I'm doing nothing but that maybe it, and fast enough, it might have succeeded. The second one was even more painful. It's a product called HipSync. Um, and this started seven or eight years ago with mm-hmm. the idea of basically what dub smash and TikTok have become, which is hip sync. It was, uh, how to sync up your, you know, your dance moves with music in slow, basically using slow motion. And it was something when we applied for patents, Mo- uh, built a whole coded software, launched it on the app store. Um, had, you know, maybe 10, 20,000 kids using it, did a lot of work with influencers, like really went for it and eventually just didn't have the right, you know, we had plenty of meetings, did all the VC stuff, did all that. It just showed how hard it was to, we were just a little behind. Like it it started out, there was nothing like it. And then it just slowly maybe not getting to the market fast enough and not, again, mm-hmm. focusing, not being from that industry. So if you look up HipSync, oh, it's it's not available anymore in the app store, but it's pretty much like a duet on TikTok. Right. It, it, was be, it was before the duet existed on TikTok. So it was, again, kind of the vision of what was to come. But it's a, it's a harsh reality of having a great idea, even spending the time prototyping, doing all that. Tons of meetings and promising things that just didn't quite materialize probably based on the same lesson that didn't have enough um, knowledge or connections 
and maybe underestimating how much it would take to truly get that launched. And, uh, and it was pretty ambitious, a lot of technology really, you know, when you look at what some of these companies have, as you know, it's, it's tons of people working on something and we were too small right. to really do it. So I'd say the biggest failures and they were very, very, uh, costly in terms of it's the money, but it's really the time away from the business of pitching ideas and creating things that, that, you know, it takes time. And so the, it kind of created a big window of time <laughs> that, right. that it was hard to recover from uh, as quickly as because, you know, toys are, it's pretty risky. And if you don't have a lot of hits, it, it can, you can go backwards quite quickly. Absolutely. It makes a lot of sense. I don't know why it just uh, popped in my brain as we were just talking here. Uh, is there any thoughts or have you had any thoughts um, towards the Amazon Alexa, the Google Homes, like the, the smart devices that you can talk to? And is there any possibility for collaboration with uh, your devices or your games with th those type of uh, devices? Definitely. Um, there's been you know, those companies have reached out to sort of the invent toy inventor community and sort of said, come up with ideas for us. Like they, they want ideas. Um, right. They've thought of a lot of things. They've done a lot of partnerships. You know, it's, it's a tricky one. I didn't, we didn't really chase it specifically, but uh, there's been like things with Scrabble and Monopoly and, you know, they, they, there are a lot of hybrids now and it's going to be more and more of that because it's mm -hmm. a fantastic way to, you know, once, as that becomes more and more entrenched, people can, it's fantastic because of all the electronics that you don't have to put into your game if it exists outside of it. Right, um, right. So I think it's a great opportunity. The The mother of all boppets, let's just say, yes, it's fully planned to, that's why it's expensive is to have, you know, Sonos and the, like be whatever it is that it, it's part of the reason to do an expensive for millennial <laughs> bop it is so that you can take advantage of all those things without uh where, rather than in the toy industry a hasbro has to sell a game or toy in the 20 dollars range it just doesn't have there's not enough cost in that to afford the type of chips you need to connect bluetooth or wi-fi to those devices so right you know it has to be a more expensive product or toy to take advantage of that um there are some cool things people are doing. Like if you're hearing, if, if you ask Google or Alexa to listen to you playing a bop it, it's possible it can react to you and understand if you get a high score, you know, there's a lot of, it can do with listening, but mm -hmm. it, it's, it is, it isn't possible to actually link to the knowledge that they can download to your device without more expensive chips. So Maybe more detail than you wanted, but that's yes. Just to no, say, it's I, a, it's a I appreciate rich it. area. Yeah. Okay, and uh, just pivoting a little bit here, um, going back to kind of like some of our listeners, or just if it was me, for example, if I thought I had some great ideas or inventions I was working on, what would be next? How do I get started on the path to seeing this thing through to the end? It uh, depends what field it's in, first of all, you know, okay. because as I say, making sure if you have an idea that it's 
that you have the right audience for it in terms of the company to pitch to. The first thing I would do, this may sound really uh, simple, but overlooked by, I'd say, 80% of the people that come up with an idea mm-hmm. is to do a lot of Googling first. <laughs> right. I mean, there are so many people I've heard, including myself, who you kind of think about something. No one could ever have thought about this. And you do a search and at first, and you don't want to see it. Like you, you don't, you go, I don't want, I just, some people avoid it because they don't want to know that someone else thought of something just like they did. <laughs> right. But when you, you will save so much money and time by first going, oh, Oh, well, you know, I guess someone did it 10 years ago. But the reason I say that is that's not the end of the story. You do it first to understand, did someone try this and fail? Or maybe someone tried this and succeeded, but it went in another direction. Or maybe it it did, but you like, there's so much more to the story than like people, when they first have an idea, they think that anything similar first looks, oh, it's the same idea. Then when you look deeper, you got to understand, well, what's different about maybe you have something that's better and, and really understanding why it's better. And if there's a different audience, is it cheaper? Is it that like, there's, it's just the journey begins with do a lot, do a lot of research to find out what's been done like it. What Mm -hmm. kind of companies did buy that product before? Are those companies ones that are open to you pitching them an unpatented idea that, you know, do they have a reputation? Some companies say, we don't care if it's patented. We'll work with you on anything. Some of them, nope, don't show it to us unless it's patented. Like, so it's a hard right. question to, you know, to say. However, I can say that in the toy industry, the one thing of why there's a lot of inventors in it is because they, they have very official, um, at least the big toy companies, the big the big ones who have inventor relations departments are pretty easy to reach to go look up that company, look up the word inventor relations, find out where they say, if you have an idea that you want to show us, here's the process, here's the form it should be in. Here's the form you need to sign, which is a, some sort of non-disclosure, which mm-hmm. again will be, if you, if you look at the form that toy companies say to sign, and then you spend money on a lawyer, to tell you, should I sign this? The lawyer will say no and charge you a lot of money to tell you what he would change. And like, this has been done thousands of times, right? People have, people have tried to, you know, and my, my advice is if you're just starting out, you have an idea, just sign the form. <laughs> if you're right. with a company, <laughs> if you're with a company that if you're pitching to a company like Hasbro, Mattel, or, or many, many other spin master companies that do this all day long, they find one, as I said in the beginning, that deals with inventors, that has a good reputation for having treated them fairly, that has you know, multiple products they have licensed from inventors that they can tell you about. That's really more valuable than I'm going to get a lawyer to do this. You know, They're never going to redo their paperwork. And the fact is they have to protect themselves by saying, basically what you sign is something that says they have the, that they've probably seen it before. And they're under no obligation to you unless it's patented to hold it confidential. Like it's scary what they write because they have, right. they have, they're really protecting themselves against the crazy people who, you know, say, I said to put striped hair on Barbie and then you did it. And that was my idea. Like really stupid stuff. Believe me, they've heard it <laughs> all. And then right, they go, right. Oh God, now we got to deal with it. So they have to have a thing that you sign that says, I understand that you've done many, many things over the last 
50 years and that just because I haven't seen them doesn't mean they don't exist, which is, I've never seen it in a store. Like, well, come on. <laughs> millions of ideas they look at and they only come out with a few, literally millions over the last several decades. So first get a reality check on, you know, work, go with the trust of a company that is intending to treat people fairly and build relationships with vendors. Now, you know, get past that legal stuff if you do have some crazy patent on some mechanism, fantastic. They're very interested in that. I'm just saying it's not necessary. What is right. necessary, do a little research and and really, you know, look at what each company has, like I did in the beginning. Look at what where what kind of concept is it? Is it does it look like it's something they're not doing versus something they are? You know, the one story I've shared a lot about Boppet was when I first pitched it. The first thing that this guy, Bill Dorman, said, who I respected so much, was, we're not doing ideas like this, which my first literally mid-sentence was, okay, they don't, they, they don't do this. He goes, but we should be. Right. <laughs> you know, so he was of the kind that said, we're not, but we should. Some companies mm -hmm. say, we're not, and we shouldn't. Some companies say, don't show us anything that is different than this. And then you show it to them, and they go, wow. I love that. You know, like you, there's just no real rule, uh, except if you have a, do a little research to make sure it's unique enough that you can spend time on pitching it to the right company with, you know, and, and that's really as simple as it is. It's just the rest of it's a lot of time. Absolutely. Okay. And my next question is more, uh, it's in the same line, but it's more mindset. And I want to ask, what do you say to the people like me who can come up with a whole lot of ideals, maybe too many ideals, and we have our next ideal before we've done something with this first ideal that we just thought was the greatest and started prototyping or started working towards? Like for those people that just keep putting down what they're working on now for that next shiny object of an idea, what would you say? <laughs> I'd, I'd say join the club. No, I mean... <laughs> <laughs> say i'm sorry you're afflicted with the same thing i am um right <laughs> I, uh, I mean it's an addiction a little bit you know that mm -hmm. is the problem it's it's non-stop it's like oh i got another one and i know i've got you know just reams of files with ideas like most people it is really hard you know when you, you sort of say go with your gut that's oh man you know it's it's the ability to to, well, to ask, to be honest with yourself about, you know, ideas are kind of easy, you know, they're, they're, maybe it's like writing song lyrics or something, just because you could write, it doesn't mean it's a, it's a great one, you know, <laughs> it's like, right, it's easy right. to do, you can kind of mash up anything and come up with a new idea or a new song, but what's the emotional side of it that, that makes it different. And I do, you know, I have shared this simple acronym that i've alluded to called right you know an invention pick the things that are right or an invention will sell or it, it is going to i guess you could say don't an invention won't happen or won't be the until it's right and that is r-i-t-e is r is a relationship i is the idea t is for timing and e is for execution and the way you use this is like a reflective uh, a reflection on your idea. Imagine a table that has four legs on it. The mm -hmm. R, the I, the T, and the E. And 
on that table is your idea, your invention. And the point is you want this table to be, imagine all the other ideas and all the other inventions that are out there on their tables, right? Mm -hmm. And so imagine the sea of tables and there's your, your concept sitting on one of the tables. You right. want your concept to be the tallest table. You want that table to be as tall as possible above all the other tables so that it's the one that should get made. And that might be a table among your hundred ideas, you know, which is the tallest table. And the way to think about it is the, the, the R, the I, the T, and the E. Do I have the relationships to pitch this idea to the right company? Everything's about the right you know, thing. Is, is if not, that leg is very short and the table is crooked because that leg is, you know, you want, you want all four things to be equal. Right. Is the I, the idea, you say, oh, I have a great idea. Is it? Is it a five <laughs> out of 10 or is it a 10 out of 10? Well, that's up to you to think. It's hard to just say the idea by itself, but, you know, it's this thing about first, any idea you come up with that you think is good, assume it's a five out of 10. And your job is to say, how can I make it a six, seven, eight, nine, or a 10 out of 10? And, mm -hmm. and when you think you have a 10 out of 10, say it again. Okay, I'm going to still say it's a five out of 10. Now, you know, like there, there's a sort of a, a discipline of don't, just because you're excited about something, pretend it, make it sit on the table first. <laughs> then right. the, the, the timing is a big one, right? That's the mm -hmm. research. That's the, this. like, is this leg of the table short and stumpy or is it tall and strong? Is it? you know, carrying its weight, all those analogies. Is it, is, is it what has happened before like this? Is it good timing because of theme? Like just, you know, it's nothing magic about this. It's just letting you think of these other factors, including execution, which is now you've got this great thing with three legs of your table, but is it, is it done? Did you, you know, you could think of 10 ways to do a bopping. Perhaps, mm -hmm. you know, it might, the idea is, is there and the relationships are there and the timing's there, but you, you make sure you explore enough of how it can be done. Like you might think of your songs, you know, well, you got everything, but man, the production of that song is one of those legs at the table, right? It's not, right. Like, you're not done until that's done. So I think when people think of ideas, they think of them often too, uh, too too much like it's just the idea. And this is an exercise that I say, go through this on a concept. If you're having trouble and you got 10 things, put them on 10 different tables and judge which one is the tallest table with the most, you know, the sturdiest equally like that. They, or it isn't that it, it's there. It's just, a, it's an introspective look like saying that you're meaning it isn't that it's magic. It's that it's the magic is you asking yourself these questions. Right. Well, thank you. That was an excellent response to that question. Appreciate that. <laughs> it's a visual one. Uh, <laughs> no, I like it. It's a great framework. Uh, apologies if you can hear my dogs. Um, oh, ultimate work oh, from home situation. Great. <laughs> but uh, I'm on my last couple questions here. I don't want to keep you too long. Um, as you can tell, I don't have a problem talking, so I'm, I, I don't want to keep you too long. <laughs> oh, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm, for as long as you have, I'm, I'm good. 
Okay. Uh, my next question here. Uh, what's the biggest surprise or win that you've had in the last few months or the last year? And that can be business related life, just anything that's gotten you excited over the last year. Well, the first thing that jumped in my head is the social media side, as I talked about earlier. I, I love uh, the connection that I feel from it. I don't know if I was prepared for that. As I said, I started it out trying to say, oh, I guess I better do this. Um, right. <laughs> meeting people like like meeting meeting you and people like that who've come, who by me putting myself out there, I've met some amazing people. Um, it feels real full, full circle for me to have started this journey and now have be in a time where this, this in partly probably because of being 2020 last year and doing all this, you know, a lot of this happened for different reasons and that it's sort of really changed, made me feel a little fresher view of everything. Um, okay. Probably that's, you know, the first thing is just, just the world that's opened up in my mind about where the creativity is possible there. That's a new, it's a new frontier for me being, you know, that it's, I've done all this career without it before. So I guess that's a surprise that, um, that I'm enjoying. Awesome. And uh, on the other side of that coin, especially with the pandemic and everything, what's the biggest challenge that you've probably had to face over the last six months to a year? Well, biggest challenge has, has been the collaborative process with, uh, with the people that are so necessary on the, on the relationship side. Although it's been pretty, I mean, a lot of the toy companies I'm pitching, that's what I was doing right before this call, pitching stuff on, on Zoom. Um, you know, that's not so bad, mm -hmm. um, but it is the hands-on part, especially the kind of products I like to do. Very right. frustrating. You, you know, you're going to play a game with someone and especially the games I do where you want to be picking things up and moving and interacting and say, boy, it's very hard, but very hard, uh, to test games and, so much invention happens in that test and, and in the pitching of an idea and watching how someone plays with it. And, you know, just not being able to go out to, to the schools where, you know, there's classrooms that I've worked with certain teachers and say, Hey, do you want to, you know, let your kids test this in this preschool or, you know, like all that's kind of gone. So right. I think it's a huge thing. It's changed a little bit, the thinking probably um, of how to approach things like that. But even then, my own office, we have, uh, you know, five people, and we're being careful. So we are not together um, building stuff and making things worse. The spontaneity definitely has taken a hit. Mm, okay. Definitely makes a lot of sense. Something I didn't even think about, but definitely makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. The hands-on, you know, I don't know how many ideas have come out of you're building something with someone and they do something or say something and it's that wait a minute like totally that's the fun part is the unexpected surprise or mistake that you can't do by yourself you right. can but you you know by being separated by watching talking to people and you i think a lot of great processes for creativity are well okay so my one last little analogy is is the secret how you can have what i say the most brains Mm -hmm. in the room and and this is something i gave it as a talk for kids about brainstorming and you know 
I say it's this concept of just, it's again, very visual. What if you imagined yourself or imagine that you're an inventor and you say, I've got the best ideas. I got this giant brain and I, 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 I could think of so many things. I'm so creative. I, 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 and then you imagine another person who's sitting there and they, you look at them and they've got, let's imagine it's like an alien. They got five brains floating around their head, you know, like, right. like, whoa. <laughs> and it's like just the visual of a person with a big brain versus a person with five brains. And I'm like, I'm going to bet on the guy with five brains. And the way that I sort of say that is if you're in a room with five people and you say, and it's just your idea and you are, you know, it's one thing to be passionate about your idea. It's like, I've got my vision, I'm sticking to it, blah, blah, blah. But it doesn't mean if you had five brains, literally, you know, and one brain had this vision and the other brain maybe had an, you know, they'd all be processing different information at different times, thinking differently, turning it over. Like it's not possible for one brain to actually look at all the angles. You need this, like I said, being outside yourself a little bit. So when you are with a group and you ask people's opinion or you show them your idea or you brainstorm with them, to literally think like, wow, every time someone says something, it's as if I have another brain, literally. It's like, that's my brain. I just got that. I just, I I don't think of it as someone else's idea. I think of it as your, you know, that's why it's a subtle difference, but it's like, that's, that's my, that's another of my brains. And that right. you're, you're working with that concept of use all the brains in the room so that you have the most brains. And, and that's just this gamified sort of way of thinking that's what you miss when you're not in a group, when you're used to a group, anything, toys or invention or working on music or you know, whatever it is. It doesn't mean you have to take any of those other points of view or opinions, but the stimulation from, from thinking that it's a huge advantage to access them is, is, is what's missed when you're not in an environment where just that other point of view that pops up. Right. 100%. You know, it, you're only there to make sure you notice it and then take it or leave it. But I can guarantee that there's just no way you can compete with that. No one can compete with multiple brains. You know, it's just <laughs> impossible. So right. uh, anyway, that's, that's my, my biggest miss, but it's also, I'd say my biggest um, advice I give lately is don't just, think of taking other people's point of view think of it like you got something you, know, you literally got more brains from it i just i don't know it's an accessible <laughs> visual <laughs> right it's something awesome that, that i hope the listeners could take with them like i, I just yeah. i like that premise so what's something that you've seen come out it could be you know in these last few years or just in your career it's something that you've seen come out and was just amazing and you were just like wow I kind of wish I would have invented that. Oh God, the pain. That is the worst pain. When you do a lot, the more you do of this, the worse it gets. Because <laughs> the I should have thought of that. I wish I'd thought of that is one thing. I should have thought of that is 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 more painful. And the right. worst one is I did think of it. And oh. uh, uh, this is the worst. I thought of it and damn it. I didn't show it. It's the one company I didn't show it to. I mm. cannot tell you the pain. So I have never thought of it that way before, but it's like, I wish I thought of it. I should have thought of it. And I did think of it, but I was too 
early. And that is the worst part about this because when you're prolific, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you can't, you can't show everything to every company. There's just not enough time and they, and there's not, you have to pick and choose and how many times you've missed. And so I'll give you the two most painful ones. Okay. The, the most painful was idea number two out of the 3,817. Mm-hmm. It was because I, I have the board and I, you know, I haven't shared it. I'm <laughs> going to share it on social media. It's, it's the only thing I can get out of the, out of it is I was going through, uh, it's actually in Sausalito here, here in the Bay area, mm-hmm. 30 years ago, whatever it was, I was just walking through and I saw this jewelry in the store that was made. They were, there were earrings made from LCD panels, you know, like little, you know, like, like they had these little flat panels that had little gray patterns that were like electronic. And I was like, Oh right. my God, look at that. <laughs> and, and I had seen, um, you know, there were handheld games were out there, like right. little, um, little games with little fighter games, or whatever. And mm-hmm. I don't know why it triggered this idea. It's like, what if those were like pets and you could have little LCD pets. So I mocked up this whole thing with stop motion animation. And I literally just started deciding I had sold this sand digger idea. And I thought I'm going to come up with ideas and pitch them to toy companies. So I mocked up this whole thing, which I will share now that you've reminded me on social media. And it's this whole presentation of this thing called LCD pets or digital, digal drivers or digital. And they were in, they were inside of cars. They were, literally like a little canary in a cage that you took care of that was made from an LCD. And I had right. all sorts of different pets and the whole thing. I showed it to all these companies and they were like, wow, it's cool. But will kids really play with that? And how would you even do it? And this, and like people who loved it, they, I, I mean, Matchbox saw, I had them inside of cars, like little characters. So it was the whole idea that no one had ever done of doing this. And I went to great lengths. I, of making literally all stop motion animation to, to simulate it, but I hadn't built it. Right. And I forgot I even had it like by the, as the industry changed and I started to get relationships with the right companies um, at the time, tiger electronics, which was, I had ended up doing products with, and I just, forgot I even had it. It was hundreds of concepts earlier. Right. And then, then Tamagotchi came out and it's, you know, this giant, it's still around today. Giant right. hit Tamagotchi. It was huge. And, and tiger toys did this one called giga pets or something. It was the same. They both yeah. came out at the same mm-hmm. time, but the point was I literally, so there's the pain of, I thought of it way too early forgot about it because you can't think of everything at once you just really hard or you try and and it was just watching this and having this giant scene in the news and seeing kids playing with it and going i had that eight years ago and i just and and it wasn't just that i had the idea it was that the hardest thing for inventors is and i had the relationships and i had the execute i had everything necessary except for uh, uh the timing was off I came up with it too early and I didn't remember to show it. And I will tell you that's happened about probably 30 times in my career of ideas that just were near misses. Um, right. The other one is, is tickle me. Elmo was, uh, 
was a concept that I have a whole board and simulation of this, um, basically a giggling teddy bear that you tickled in different spots and it giggled and it was pretty very close presentation. And right. I showed it, a, I showed it a, about a month after to the right company, Fisher Price, I showed it to them and they go, Oh, we God, this is so similar. We just took in an idea a month ago of this thing. And um, oh, no. darn, you're just a little, you know, I, I, you hear that all the time and go, Oh, well, it probably won't amount to anything. And, right. and the fact is, it's just, a, it's absolute proof that it's just timing. Like if I had been a month earlier, because what that tickled me, Elmo, the story on that is um, actually a friend of mine, Ron Dubrin, who did come up with it with his, with his partner, mm-hmm. he said he pitched it as this monkey. It wasn't even, you know, it was this idea. It was kind of similar, this plush animal that you tickled and because electronics were kind of big, these chips, but it right. was Fisher Price that turned it, that had the idea, this guy, Stan Clutton, I'll give the name he, he passed away several years ago great guy really inventive guy within fisher price and he had the idea like why don't we take this and put it on an elmo and that's of course what made that concept it was so silly that it was part of that it was elmo right. and so you know for a fact when you're an inventor that things you know you're going to pitch things and you might just miss it by a month you might miss it by eight years so the i came up with it too early or a little too late and you knew it was you know in some cases you know it's amazing and you're wrong sometimes you just don't you don't think anything of it but if you it's really painful let me tell you to be to know that it's just the luck of the draw sometimes and um, so coming up with the idea isn't it's just the beginning it's all that's why i say r-i-t-e right you gotta (laughs) have all four legs the right time the right execution right like that's a great example of why i say that it's like the only way to increase your odds is know a lot of the companies show make sure to show the right kind of things if you can but you're gonna miss some there's just no way to, to, to be right all the time um and just like picking stocks, you can't be right. I'm just, you know, for stock, that you you just can't. And so, right. accepting that is probably the hardest. The I wish I'd thought of that. I could just say, one of the things I saw recently um, that Hasbro did was this game, "Don't Step in It," mm-hmm. which a, another fr- uh, friend, Don Ullman, um did, and uh, Bob Driscoll. Again, I know all these guys. We all are on the same circuit, and. Right. It's the simple idea where there's Play-Doh on the ground and you have a blindfold on and you walk on this mat and you <laughs> you don't want to step in the it's it's molded to be like you know dog poop. Right. It's this simple simple idea. Like it's just like anyone could have come up with that at any time in history. There was no new technology. There is no. It was just a great idea at the right time with the right company humor whatever and and it did incredibly well and so i think the that's a i wish i'd thought of that i didn't think of it should i have i don't know but but it was like i think it's the idea is that there's nothing breakthrough about them but the pure concept and the and the and the positioning those i think are really impressive the ones where somebody's just like a genius and they come up with this like incredible technology and you know those are amazing but i don't feel bad about those because it yeah, I, I don't even know how to do half that stuff, but it's the pure right. <laughs> concepts that, that you could have done if you just thought about, you know, it's, those will kill you. So, uh, or you'd be happy for the people that did them, but I don't know. I, I, as I said, that opened up a whole can of things for me. I thank you for letting me, for being my therapist. 
<laughs> no problem at all. I'm, I'm glad uh, you were able to get it out. <laughs> but no, uh, it brings me uh, to my last question here. And it was just, if you could go back in time and talk to your 18-year-old self, what would you say to him? Well, I think, I think it's the, the simplest thing of not of really follow your, your pat your true passion. Um, what's, what has made you, what is, what are the moments in your life that you've just said, ah, oh, I'm so, I'm so satisfied or I feel so, um, you know, what, what made you feel, maybe I'd say like yourself the most, right. who, who, you know, which is, it's the hardest thing, you know, is I think knowing at that age, you know, you'd probably don't know quite who you are. You're looking for it. So you have to pick something. And I think it's that essence. If I, I only, cause I, I was really in pain for a couple of years after that thinking, I, I guess I want to go this engineering thing, which I was just miserable in, like not, knowing that it wasn't me and maybe being afraid that this more design artistic path was, wasn't viable, you know, Oh, I better, I needed to, I, I wanted to pick something where I could actually make a living. And I remember thinking, you know, so for my journey, it was, it was being afraid of, of sort of going for what was my true. Um, I knew if I'd looked at it, I would have known that's what makes me happy was making things, tinkering with things, but, it was just a little bit off. And um, so I think it's, it's, and just to think a little bigger, you know, that, that mm. I think the one bit of advice I give to almost everyone at that age is that it's so much easier. It's it, if you know what you want or where you're going, if you know where you're going, that is all that matters. If you know where you want to go, I should say what you, you know, if you had a big map and you said, I have, I want, I just love, you know, the, whatever it is, this, this town in Russia, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of something that's like right. unobtainable. I have no idea how to get there, but if I put a little pin on that map, mm -hmm. I bet you that, and you said, I don't know how I'm going to get there, but that's where I want to go. Somehow, by osmosis or this, or by asking, you know, all of a sudden the world changes where everything you see directs you to that point. You'll use right. the information differently because you know where you want to go. On the other hand, if you, if you say, I don't know where I want to go and you just imagine the contrast and there you, you just kind of go in circles. It's not bad. If you say, I don't know where I want to go, go out and wander till you do. Maybe it's good advice. Like, but just don't, right. The, the fact, I think the most miserable you'll ever be is when you don't know what you want. It's not that I know what I want. You're not, people aren't miserable who know what they want. And I believe, and they can't get it. I think that that if, if you really focus on what you want, I think my belief is that you will figure it out. You know, it's not, so the heart, the most important thing at 18 to me is like, try to get closer to that circle of where you want to go. Cause don't worry about how to get there just you know that's really so powerful and and it's so miserable if you don't that you you should spend a good amount of time searching what it is you, you know where you want to go at that age because that'll help you 
you'll somehow get there. 100%. I completely agree that once you kind of have that direction or that intention that the universe, the world, you know, everything just kind of works out in your favor and starts to mesh around you, especially because you kind of have that vision now of what you want to do and where you want to go. Yeah. It's it, like you said, the universe, the universe works. It's not even that mystical to me. It's that your receptors are geared to look for the information you need. Right. right. And so, mm-hmm. and so it will, it'll just, it makes you tuned to the right information because you know what information you want. Um, right. Yeah. So it's, it's, it is amazing. That's what intention, the power of intention is, is how the, it's not just it magically happens is that you act on it differently. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, uh, Dan, I really appreciate you taking uh, some time out your evening to do the interview and spend some time with us. Oh, I've, I've enjoyed it. I said, thanks for the therapy and for <laughs> the, uh, brainstorming and letting me, you know, just I uh, sort of free range on just what's going on. I, I, uh, I'm, so this is part of what excites me about why I'm out there is meeting people like you and getting to sort of think about stuff and share it. And, and, you know, in terms of people who want to follow or, you know, chime in, you know, I'm pretty, I try to answer stuff that's out there. I, it's getting busier, so I don't see a lot of stuff, <laughs> but right, uh, right. if you go, if you go on at, you know, at Bop at Inventor on either uh, Instagram or or TikTok, um, leave some comments and I'll try to answer them. Absolutely. And we'll be sure to link those in the post. Uh, once again, thank you so much. And, uh, you have a great evening and I appreciate you taking the time. All right, Dan, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I'll catch up with you later. Later, man. Thanks a lot. Okay. Bye. Bye. That'll do it for another episode of Start a Business, Mind Your Own. Be sure to rate the podcast and leave a comment. Your feedback helps improve our content and make sure even more people hear the show.